The artist's brain is an independent variable. When brought into the everyday world, their senses find meaning in even the most mundane observations. The reaction must only be told by the artists themselves. I'm Loverboy, and this is an experiment. Today's guest is a singer, songwriter, and multi-instrumentalist, finding himself writing and producing for artists all over the major label scene and collaborating on records with some of today's favorite artists. He recently released a song with popular artist Garrett Nash called Superglue that truly shows off his ability to be an artist. Please welcome today's guest, Slim Dan. Shalom. <laughs> shalom, shalom. <laughs> welcome, man. What's up? I'm happy to have you by the studio. It's, uh, I appreciate you coming in as we were just talking about going through the the hellish rainy la where people forget how to drive we persevere my man yes we, we, do. we make it happen it's crazy out there so tell me a little bit about you you're a an instrumentalist what does that come with what instruments um i would say like i fall into that line of like john mayer kids like i i can't you know what i'm talking about kind of like the the live at Nokia like movie that he put out. So a kind of, I would say like guitar player first mm-hmm. um, and then I'll sprinkle on some piano. Killer. And then like if you play guitar and piano, you can kind of figure out any other instrument. But I would Absolutely. say those two, like I feel like I'm not fucking up all the time. Yeah. And then just sometimes. So I'm sure finding that root note and sitting on the bass isn't too too hard for you either. But like my for lack of better terms, whiteness just really comes out on the bass, <laughs> I would say. It's definitely some a good amount of, uh, it takes a couple of tries. Not but as no. much swing? Not as much swing, right? <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, yeah, I, you figure it out. You make it happen. So you grew up in California, Sherman Oaks? The Shokes. And you grew up in an Orthodox Jewish family. Yes, sir. And how, as a kid, did you find the music that you're into and that helped kind of shape you in a family that was more religious? Totally. I'm lucky that my mom, I'd argue, has like one of like the best music tastes out of anybody I know. Like she'll she can get Jewy with the music for sure, but like I was raised on like Paul like I mean, I guess they are all Jewish, but Paul Simon was a huge staple in my house and the Beatles. So I think that sort of that that built-in infrastructure of music was like really really good for me but i simultaneously the mtv thing was happening so it was Mm. like fergie black eyed peas like all all that kind of like 2000 like early 2000s music happening pop era exactly which for me i always go back to because that's like ludicrous is like i know it's not a popular opinion but that guy's got mad bars (laughs) he's unreal ludus spits the truth man i feel like anybody who spent half their time at bar mitzvahs likes ludicrous I mean, and also frequenter, so <laughs> was uh yeah, I mean Flo Rida, like all those people, I think I'm equal parts Paul Simon and equal parts Flo Rida, I would say. <laughs> that's a mixture. Yeah, that's that's, a mixture. that's the combo. <laughs> so what music was your mom showing you? So it was Paul Simon, it was um it was Flo Rida. It was, I mean, funny enough, <laughs> Flo Rida was MTV. That was like when like American Idol ended or whatever. And my mom went to bed. Me and my sister would like, MTV was just constantly like circulating music videos. Yeah. So, and that was like pre YouTube too. So like, that was kind of the way I found out about like, I mean, Get Rich or Die Trying is like a top 10 yes. album for me, like hands down. And like, so I would say my mom was kind of giving me more of the classic rock perspective. And then MTV was kind of educating me on the kind of more hip shit. 
in what part of it did you fall in love with first? Was it the, did you fall in love with the songwriting? Did you fall in love with the instrumentation, the, the rapping when it comes to, to people like Flo Rider and, and, and Ludacris? That's a good question. Um, I think it was the voice initially, which is funny because I'm like a pretty mediocre singer. But like I remember hearing Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young and like when they would do like a four part harmony, I'd be like, what is happening right now? Why? Why does this feel so good? So I think it was kind of I remember it was that song um, Helplessly Hoping. I don't know if you know Mm -hmm. that song. It's this crazy four part, beautifully arranged harmony. And I remember like sitting with my mom and her trying to explain. It's like one guy's singing this and the other guy's singing this. And it kind of like rocked my world. They they really um, started a world of harmonies that now is is pop music. 100%. That's what it's built on. You find people like Billie Eilish where 75% of their song is just vocal layers built up that that make chordal structures or whatever it is. 100%. And it's, I think, and it's, it can be done, another major lesson I've learned is it can be done tastefully and it can done, it can be done, it can ruin a song too if you overstack it. Dude, over the top harmonies are. Right. So it's, it's kind of an interesting balance, but yeah, I would, I think they're responsible for so much and not only from that, but even songwriting wise, like Deja Vu, it goes down as like such a good album. Oh my God. Was the idea of being in this industry something that you thought about growing up? I think my parents were just super stoked when they found out there was I could get a degree in music mm. and I wasn't going to be like a complete bum. Like I remember my dad found out about this like Berkeley College of Music summer program and they were just like desperate for me to like have a degree because they're Jewish parents, obviously. Mm-hmm. So once my dad identified that and kind of showed me that route, I think it started to open up the idea of like, oh, people go to school for this. This is like actually kind of a job that people do. It's not just like... There's there's some sort of path that right. Can there's be some taken. sort of path you can take. So I think once my dad's really good in this way is that he's good at identifying like his kids like passions and then sort of setting that. Like my sister was super into like photography, so he got her like a photographer. He like connected her with his friend who was into photography, and then she went to Parsons. Oh, so wow. I think similarly he saw he identified within me that I was into music and was like, you should just like fucking go for it. And I was like. I mean, I was like a shit, I was like a real shithead, like teenage kid. So I needed that direction. And once that happened, I started like, I was like, oh, you can be like a composer for TV shows. There were so many different routes. So, and you started making music for other people. That's, that's how you kind of got into the industry. I would say like, I mean, the industry is such a big thing. So like, I was playing like, there was, how long have you been in LA for? Six years. Okay, cool. Do you remember this venue called Room 5? I know of it. So, like, there were, like, these places, like, Room 5 and, like, early on Hotel Cafe where it was, like, they would let, like, anybody play there, basically, if you could sell tickets. So I would just, like, come through with my mob and, like, I would play, like, little, like, I don't know, like, 20-minute sets with me and my acoustic guitar. So I think, like, that was my first entry point into the industry and sort of I would, like, busk on the street and kind of do it like that. Um, But in terms of, like putting out my own music. I started doing that in college mm-hmm. and I quickly, quickly realized how much I hated that. It's that you have to really shout about yourself, like even more so in today's industry. But even back then, I remember like just berating my friends on like Facebook Messenger specifically being like, you need to come to my show or else I'm going to die. Like I remember just being like crazy shows like I, I need you to be at this show. Yeah. And it just felt kind of icky to me. So I remember just being like, I don't like this. I definitely have 
probably way too many people who I haven't talked to in like six years. And the last time I did was on Facebook asking them to listen to a song or, oh. <laughs> or whatever is they're sending out, Hey, I'm doing this DJ contest. Yep. Will, you, will you please vote for me? I know we haven't talked in 10 years, but yep. it's, it's tough in becoming an artist. A lot of people understand that it comes with being able to make great music and it comes with, sure making something that other people can relate to, but it also, you can make the best song in the world and if nobody hears it, mm-hmm. what do you do with that? And and it's still art and it's still important. And as we were talking about before, part of being an artist sometimes is also doing the other work to make the money and keep it enjoyable. Sure. So you found yourself in a community of some pretty talented, really talented people out in Los Angeles. Did you kind of find your way into that industry as an artist or as a collaborator, as a producer or instrumentalist or songwriter? I'd actually say more as a friend first. Mm. I think that was kind of my, not, I wasn't even on purpose, but like I just happened to meet these people at different points in my life and like kind of buddy up with them. And then before you know it, like we were all just in LA together Um, so I also, I went to music school. So like you, like obviously you're playing music together, but like there's actual friendship that comes out of that for sure. So I think it was just like a bunch of homies that were in LA at the same time. And then I would say it was like, I tried, I remember intentionally trying to establish myself as like collaborator guy versus artist guy. Cause there's so much of that already happening. And I was, it's just easier to, for me, at least the collaborator thing was like a much chiller way to like get into the room with people. It's almost more natural too. It's like, if you, if you walk in the room and your intentions are, Hey, I would love to make music with this person and that's it. Or I'd love to learn from this person. I'd love to find experiences with this person. Then some amazing songs can pop up. Mm-hmm. But I, I think a lot of people walk into the room going, I need to be the artist in the room. Yeah. I need to be this. I a, a little too much set with the role before you you understand the the ecosystem that you're walking into. Absolutely. I mean, I was like, it's funny. I remember like this one pivotal moment um, where I had just started doing sessions and like, I was just starting to like talk to publishers and diff- I was like just the, getting my foot in the door mm-hmm. and I was having such a miserable time. I was so upset at myself all the time and like everybody was like, Rihanna, we're going to send this to Rihanna. And like I was like, what? What does that mean? And it's like nobody's sending anything to Rihanna. It's just like kind of something people would say all the time. And I was just so like uptight. And then my friend Sasha was just like, I think you just need to make this about having a good time and making people like – just just go in there and be yourself and have a good day. That should be your number one objective. Do it for you. And do it for you and just make, screw the song, screw whatever. It's like just have a good time and make it about, like make that the number one priority. And once I sh- shifted my mindset into that, which was very early on into me kind of entering the music space, it just became so much more enjoyable. And so, so many more things started to happen for me once I made that adjustment. So now it's almost the new year. And we're going to 2022. And this has been the first year, at least from from my perspective, that you've released music as an artist. You have two songs out, um, Super Glue and MVP. Mm-hmm. Both are not only catchy as hell, but they're really, really well done. And you can tell that these aren't made from somebody who's trying to be an artist. These are made from somebody who, who has 
the ability to be in the industry and has the ability to to make things at a professional level who's also doing this you know like it's 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 very i feel like most people when you see two songs on there you expect this is the bottom of what's going to be a very long list until they get to the point where they figured it out Mm -hmm. and these are two very figured out songs thank you how tell me about those two songs tell me about mvp first that was the first that you released in 2021 Uh and what was that experience like kind of jumping back into the artist side of things totally first off thank you that's very nice of you to say um i think that having something to say is such a huge part of being an artist and there are so many people just shouting all the time just absolute nothing into the universe Mm -hmm. and i felt for a long time like i was filling that role pretty well in terms of just like having nothing to say and just like copying whatever artist I was very into at the time. So I remember thinking to myself, like, I don't feel like I have anything to say right now, but hopefully one day I will have something to say. So why don't I just focus on this other pocket while I kind of figure my shit out and sort of figure out what I like and what I want to say. Mm -hmm. And over the course of three years, I think I just, a narrative and a sort of a tone started to develop within my writing and just being a human and you know, all that kind of stuff. So I kind of was preparing myself for that. And then once I felt like I kind of understood, I started writing songs here and there with like very close collaborators. Totally. Not even with like some grand idea of like, I'm going to be an artist, but more so like, I think I want to say this. So MVP was kind of in that first batch of songs where I was like, I think I just watched like Field of Dreams or something. And I was like, on my baseball shit. I'm very, I'm very, very, I love baseball. I love basketball, especially watching it. Mm -hmm. So I think that was sort of on my mental. And I had this one guitar part and it felt like me. It felt like something I would play. And then through writing that song and a couple others, I felt like I was a story was sort of starting to unfold a little bit. What percentage of the songs that you write as for yourself do you find that you you want to release? Every one of them. Every one of them. So you're not writing 40 songs to release three. I, I'm not a prolific writer like that, I would say. There are certain people where it's just oozing out of them all the fucking time. Like, they are their music, and their music is them. And Absolutely. I, I'm so in awe of those people. But for me, it's really, like, this long, hard, torturous process. <laughs> I'm right there with you. I... When it comes to an idea, music-wise, uh, instrumentally, that comes a lot more naturally to me. Mm-hmm. But sitting down and writing about my feelings or writing about a situation and, and trying to not make things so in-your-face, make them a little bit more metaphorical sure. or whatever it is, that's very tough for me. And that takes legitimate thinking. Mm-hmm. What did you find was some good practices to kind of keep yourself moving along this journey if it does take longer? writing for other people all the time Mm. so that's that's just your homework you know what I mean that's the way I saw it at least was sort of like that's just practicing so I got to fail 95% of the time writing for other people and sort of watch what they would what their instincts were and see what the producers instincts were and see what my instincts were and sort of balance all of that out yeah and I think through doing that I was able to kind of keep my pen game going and then I mean I'm sure you have this too, but kind of like a note section on your phone of like titles and concepts and stuff like that. Mine's like half my gigabytes at right, this point. Right, exactly. Like mine, I'm like swiping down for hours at this point. But oh, yeah. I think what every once in a while, I would kind of like write something. To, MVP was an example that I wrote MVP down. And I was like, I don't think like BB Rexo wants to talk about it being the MVP. I kind of want to talk about it. So I remember just stashing, I kind of like stashed a couple away for myself and while writing for other people kind of like keep practicing my writing. And then like when I felt ready to write for myself, go in with the intention of like, I'm now going to write for myself. Sweet. 
that that makes sense. I feel like if if the pen's not moving constantly, then that's a muscle that goes weak, and, mm-hmm. and you really do have to keep working it out. And eventually, you get to the point where where you understand that when you walk in a room with a certain artist, that's what you're doing. And when you leave, you still got to keep that going, but but maybe it can become something that feels more individual, more more yourself. Sure. And I think as you figure yourself out, you kind of like you kind of know what moves you like. I I mean, I think of it like basketball. It's like, I really, it's like songwriting to me is like, you make your crossover for like the verse and then like you drive to the paint for like the pre and then you slam it in for the chorus, hopefully. (laughs) And you gotta, you gotta chill out. You can't press. You can't always press. You cannot (laughs) always press. Whoever's listening, gotta be, save your energy. It's like the one sports term I know. You're crushing it. (laughs) I'm doing it, dad. So... What about your second song? It's with um, Garrett Nash, yeah. who went by, is it, or Nash does he still before. go by Nash? Or is it just Garrett Nash now? I think he was Nash before, but he is now transitioning into his actual legal name, which is Garrett Nash. Killer. Yeah. And did you, were you guys friends before you wrote the song? Yeah. So um, Garrett and I were working on his album that's going to come out over quarantine. He was one of those people I didn't meet in person until like a year after knowing him, which is like I feel like a lot of relationships that are popping up in a lot of people's lives right now. But um, I had been working on his project and then he just texted me and was like, you want to put a song together? And I was like, yeah, I'm down. (laughs) Let's do this thing. So he I just sent him a couple ideas and Superglue was one of them. And then we kind of flesh it out together. How much of it did you have ready pre-session? Basically all of it. I would say he he definitely put his own spin on it and came in and tweaked some lyrics. But I wrote it with my friend Christina Galligan. And that was just one of it's funny, I think in terms of like we're talking about like just writing for other people, but then they're also it's important to keep writers around you that you feel comfortable with and like keep you inspired. Yeah. So she's definitely I kind of have like a handful of people that like she's one of them where I just like writing with them makes me feel good and like makes me feel like I can write from a more personal place because I'm comfortable. Totally. So it was one of those sessions where one of the rare sessions actually where there wasn't a clear objective and I was just like, let's just vibe. And we wrote that song and it was like my friend Kelly who works at uh, Atlantic ended up sending it to Garrett's team and then full circle, he texted me and I was like, what about this song? And then it all kind of came together. Yeah. It's, it's wild how things kind of find their place as long as you just keep going. Mm -hmm. Um, so kind of to, to wrap this up, I wanted to, to ask, cause there's not a lot of people, the, the point of this podcast is to really show somebody, whether it's a kid or somebody who wants to change their career and get into this, to kind of give them a little bit of a guide, show them, show them a sure. little bit of a direction as much as you can in this industry. Mm-hmm. What would you tell a kid who's sitting at home, 15 years old right now, in a religious family who mm-hmm. wants, to, wants to do what you're doing and wants to be where you are? Is there anything that specifically you would, you would say to kind of give them a little bit of light of where, where to head? There's a lot of things I would say. Um, think it's a combination of a couple things that I would want to tell them I'd say write a million bad songs just like keep just keep writing and figure out what your perspective is and sort of what makes you the writer that you are and I think the only way to do that is to try a bunch of different things so go through your like weird SoundCloud rap phase go through your screamo phase go through your country phase and like ultimately you'll probably land somewhere that feels like you which is hopefully a combination of all those things that you enjoy Mm -hmm. so just keep writing um and then i would say the biggest advice i give to people i call it i mean i don't call it this but it's just rtr which is read the room Mm. and that's i would say for me like 
that's been my biggest skill set in all of this is like I don't think I'm necessarily the best writer. I'm definitely not the best singer. I'm not the best guitar player. But I think the ability to read the room and sort of come in and be like a good energy in the room will take you so far because people there's so many unpleasant people in this industry that are awesome and so good at what they do but i think people are always looking for talented cool people that are just like easy to be around friends and friends exactly it's and just connecting on a friendship level i think that'll take you so far and sort of and more specifically in the read the room thing is like if you're in a room right and there's you see there's this artist who's just like all over the lyrics they're just crushing the lyrics Mm -hmm maybe you don't need to be the the main lyricist in that session. You yeah. know what I mean? And kind of like reading the situation and being like, where can I put myself in this situation that will benefit the the song and the entire thing versus being like, I need to come in here and show everybody that I know how to write like the fucking sickest verse ever. Being the most useful is not doing the most. That's not that's not what it means. It's finding the the actual missing piece of the puzzle and filling that. And not trying to fill pieces that are already there. You, you got totally. to you got to make this this moving structure where where you're not stepping yeah. on people's feet. And and like you're saying, reading the room is, it's not about knowing the most. It's not about thinking that you're the best in the room. It's really it's really just about understanding people at a human level, mm-hmm. and realizing that you're all there to make something happen. And if you're all trying to do the same thing, then there's going to be a lot of parts that don't happen. Hundred percent. And I think just to add on to that, I think diversifying your skill set will only help you in that scenario because like there are certain rooms i walk into where nobody plays an instrument and it's like i can be that guy today and there's certain times where i'm playing with or like you know there are people that are like virtuosic like piano players and i'm just like or virtuoso piano players and i'm just like i'm not gonna come anywhere near that that is their thing and i'm like and they're crushing that and i can focus more on the top line or whatever so i think just get kind not even good just be okay at a couple different things and then implement those based on the situation i think a lot of people needed to hear that it's not all about being the best in the room it's really about understanding the room understanding people and being a fucking good person at the end of the day if you can be a good person somebody's going to want you in the room more than the asshole who might be a little bit better than you or at least pretending to be a good person get really good at faking it. So, hey that's a big part of there's a lot of <laughs> no, people just kidding who do that. just kidding well it's been such a pleasure to have you by, man. Thanks it's, for having uh, me, dude. I'm really excited to hear song number three through 100 that comes out. Um, January 18th. January 18th. And everybody go right now and, and listen to MVP and Superglue. They're out. And Slim Dan, it's been such a pleasure to have you by the studio. Thanks for having me, man. And to everybody listening, I am Slim Dan, and this is most definitely an experiment. Bye, everybody. Experience is the experiment. <laughs>